Welcome to the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast. I'm Ben Trueblood alongside John Paul Basham, Yo. Julie Plunk, Woo. and good friend Ryan McDermott. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Thank so you. Ryan is uh, he's Director of Students and Young Adults at Christ Fellowship Church in the South Florida area. Known Ryan for a while uh, and man, has been involved when, with several things that, that we've done at LifeWay Students. Uh, and you can find Ryan as well speaking uh, at Youth Pastor Summit events all across the country. So uh, after today's podcast, I know that you'll want to go learn more about Youth Pastor Summit so you can uh, meet Ryan face-to-face and hear what he has to say there. So known Ryan for uh, quite a while, just a good friend personally, good friend of LifeWay students. Uh, I would say this about about you, Ryan. Uh, uh, leadership development extraordinaire. Whoa, that's, so, <laughs> that's quite the title. <laughs> I, like, just in terms of recruiting, training, developing, and setting loose volunteers to lead in ministry and to do ministry themselves. Uh, there's, there's nobody better. So man, I, I want to thank you for, for being a part of the podcast and for pour, I know you pour in to a lot of people in that and train a lot of people in how to do that. So thanks for the investment in student ministry there too. Thank you for those kind words way too much. (laughs) So one of the things that, uh, Ryan recently recorded a series of videos, a course that all of our youth ministry booster members are walking through right now, uh, called serve. That's, that's based on that very topic in training, recruiting, developing leaders and setting them loose for ministry. Uh, so we have a group of people that are part of youth ministry booster, uh, that are going through that course right now. But one of the things not related to the topic, but not really the center of that topic that stood out to us was this phrase that you used in that content. And that's that you guys are about calling students up and not calling them out. And again, like that's a a phrase that you used in that content wasn't even the main focus of the content, but that phrase jumped out to us. And so, man, I would love to talk about what you guys mean by that uh, and just dive into where that came from. And then, of course, because of the nature of this podcast, helping student pastors understand how they can do that in their own ministry. So let's start with where it came from, how you came to that point. Yeah, Um, I think in part, it really just came from something that we've been trying to articulate just as a church in general, and not necessarily just as it relates to student ministry, but kind of in our, what is our role in the lives of people? And I think it's an even more important conversation when it comes to Uh, student ministry and I would say kids ministry as well but I think uh, historically the church has kind of been a place and maybe even student ministry has been a place where uh, there's a lot of focus on rules and regulations and if we're not careful the tone of our conversations and the way that we interact with students um, can become very much oriented around those things. You know, we do this, we don't do that. Um, this is the time where you sit down. Now you bring out your Bible. This we stand up for, <laughs> you know, all all of those kinds of things, which 
uh, I, I don't want to downplay the importance of some of those spoken or unspoken, um, you know, attributes of what we do. But at the same time, we wanted to really fight to make sure that our environments were, were ones where kids were going to have life and encouragement spoken over them, that, that mm. it wasn't going to feel like school or it wasn't going to feel like maybe a conversation with their parents because that's really not the role of the church. And so part of the conversation really originated around the idea, like, what do we want our environments to be like and what is the best way for us to be able to speak into the lives of students and it kind of got to that language of like, how do we make sure that we are a place that doesn't just call students out, but calls them up rather. And meaning that there are times in all of our lives and ministries where we have to have conversations with kids or people um, that we're discipling or whatever, where, where we have some call out conversations, you know, like it's yeah. still, it doesn't protect them from maybe making some some less than ideal decisions. It doesn't protect them from having some out of character moments. And, you know, there obviously are times where we're all going to sit down with students and have some call out conversations and the, the Lord uses those. But I, what I found is that we can, uh, the tone of almost all of our conversations can, can go that way if we're not careful. Um, and so in an effort to kind of make sure that our environments were ones that were life-giving and encouraging and yet still challenging students to be more than they already are. Um, that language of like, not just call them out, but call them up um, is, is something that kind of um, helped us to articulate what it is that we were trying to describe. Man, you used, uh, you used the phrase, something we, that this is something you wanted to fight for in your environments to be a part of your ministry. Has it felt like that? Has it been something that's like, you have to be that intentional, like to really fight for this. We, we have to say it all the time. We have to, we have to constantly remind ourselves of this. Yeah. Um, well, I'll speak more personally. I have to fight for it. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, I think like on a Wednesday night, if I see kids who maybe aren't engaged in worship the way I want them to be, or they're um, being disrespectful or disengaged during a message, you know, like the, everything in me wants to go over and be like, you know, in at least in my mind, I'm either saying like, shut up or sit down or stand up, you know, like it just, my mind goes to like these commands that I would bark out at these students. And um, so I, I actually have to hold, hold back on some of that and just remind myself that I want, I want that moment to be full of grace. And I, I want that I want that moment to be something that they would look back on and not think about um, maybe how harsh or how short I was, but rather um, they might look back on that moment and realize, you know, that um, while I was not afraid to have a conversation, I, I did so in a way that would, would call them to be more than they are. So I have to fight for it personally, which I think means that like our teams and our volunteers and all of that have to fight for it because it would be a lot easier to just go like, what are you doing? Stop that. You know? <laughs> um, but rather um, we do have to fight for it. And so, you know, even the serve video, like some of where this came out was like the house rules that we've developed, which is actually kind of arming our volunteers with some language that they can use as like staples, you know, or, you know, integral parts of our ministry 
to do that. Because if I just told a volunteer, like, hey, don't make sure that if a student's got their phone out during service, you don't just call them out, call them up. You know, it's, it's maybe great to teach that principle, but it also means that I actually have to arm them with language or arm them with an idea of how to do that. Um, otherwise, even when confronted with the moment, we'll probably just naturally slide into maybe being uh, more harsh or calling students out. Man, I love that. I'd love to hear you talk more about how you equip your leaders to, to talk that way. It, it it feels a lot like what we've talked about this some on the podcast, my wife and I in our trying to strive toward strong, healthy parenthood with our kids instead of just saying, don't do that because I've already told you not to do this four times already. Yeah. It's we've started to kind of build the list. Okay, here are the scriptures that we're going to go to to talk about, you know, remember this scripture. This is why we do this or don't do this, which just lends into so much intentionality about the way that you talk about things. What are you going to? What are some of those things that you're equipping your leaders to say specifically to call them up to that right. standard that God has set? Well, I think your example is so good, right? We know that that this is true in parenting. Like we know we have to have a way that, hey, we're not going to just react to our kids and be harsh with our kids or short with our kids, but we actually have to be intentional that like we're going to redeem those moments and speak life and share uh, scriptural encouragement. And so we already, you know, most of us are fighting to try to do it in our homes. Yeah. And I think what we remember that part of our role in the church is to place like spiritual moms and dads in the lives of kids, you know, we're not trying to replace the family because that's not the function of the church. Right. But, um, but we are trying to create a place where those spiritual relationships are formed. And, you know, I do want to be able to position uh, a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad in the life of a kid. And so, you know, that, that parenting lens, I actually think is, is quite helpful um, that it ultimately will compromise your ability to parent uh, over the long haul, if you just react in the, in the short term and in the moment, you know? And so that's really it is like, let's not react in a moment in such a way that loses, compromises our ability over the long haul to speak identity into the lives of kids and call them to be more than they are. And so I think that analogy is, is really, really helpful. And I think in terms of practicality, you know, the biggest way that we've done it and, and, I, I'm sure there's a better way to do it. <laughs> we, we need to find better ways to do it. But the biggest way that we've done it is kind of those house rules that we've developed, which are kind of just 12 markers of our, of our ministry and their phrases like Jesus is better. But then there's a series of like descriptors of like we are worship leaders, we're tone setters, we're note takers, we're people bringers, different things like that. Um, we have ones like we, we speak highly, we love deeply. So you know, in part, they're like prescriptive um, in yeah. that they're who we want to be. You know, it's uh, they're not all true of us. Uh, you know, um, they're not all descriptive, but a lot of them are prescriptive. And in a sense, I would say like prophetic, like we're calling ourselves beyond where we currently are and trying to cast a vision for who we feel like God wants us to become. And so in that, um, in those house rules, I think is some language that our volunteers hopefully can grab a hold of and can use in those practical moments of like, you know, so when a kid is walking around on Wednesday night, I'm sure this never happens in any of the churches represented on the podcast, you know, <laughs> but using language that some of us might not feel is appropriate in the house of God, you know, that they, they could, they, instead of going like, we don't do that here, 
which would probably be all of our first reaction, you know, that they might be armed with some language to go, actually in our house, we speak highly. Or actually around here, you know, like, I'm so glad you're here, you know, for the first time, hopefully. No, I'm so, I'm, you know, you may not know this about us yet, but in our house, we, we love deeply. So, you know, whether it's language or it's like kind of the tearing down of a, another student, you know, the, the, the problems that kind of plague those relationships at, in the age that we're talking about, you know, the issues of gossip or the issues of slander or the issues of foul language, you know, just some of those things that, again, not your kids, I'm sure, but maybe our kids are dealing with, you know, it gives our volunteers some language where they hopefully begin to filter those interactions through some cultural markers and, and don't just react how they might personally react to a situation. So I think, I think those have been helpful. I think, again, there's probably other ways, but that, that really is, again, about how we create the environment that we are striving towards for our students. Would I be right to assume also that preparing the leaders and the volunteers, a lot of that I'm assuming is even happening mostly outside of those confrontational moments. So they're working hard to build a relationship with these students, build a trust in them so that when they have that moment of, you know, we're going to have to have a serious conversation, it's not only presented better, but it's also received so much better because they've proven while you do care about me, you do love me deeply, all those things that you've just said. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure who said it, but I've heard something along the lines before of like, you know, correction without relationship leads to rebellion, you know, something along those lines. It's like, I think that's part of the idea is that we obviously know the the correction or the coaching, you know, those conversations are so much more successful in relationship. Um, And so, yeah, so our entire student ministry is built around groups. Um, Like on a Wednesday night, what we do is worship teaching in groups, you know, so we're trying to give every kid that go-to godly leader, you know, and so even when there are those moments, there might be times where I choose not to say something, but, you know, provide that feedback to a life group leader or set a, a group leader up to have that conversation because, you know, it it could be much better received through that relationship than even from me, you know, because it's, it's a lot different when the teacher or the principal, you know, calls you into the office versus the guidance counselor or something like that. You know, it's like in the relationship, in the connection, um, it's, you know, it's often better received that, that coaching or that correction. So, yeah, so we're building everything out around relationships Um, And that's part of the reason why, for sure. And then we're trying to train our volunteers as much as we can, just kind of continually on those values and keep them on the forefront of what we do. So it's certainly a part of like our onboarding process orientation. But most of the time when we gather before service and we huddle, you know, we're not just going over the order of service. We're not just praying for the night. We do those things. But, you know, most of the time we're going to try to grab one of those cultural values remind people of it and go, this is who we have the opportunity to be tonight. And I think they're helpful. So you hit on something that I was curious about. How has fostering the culture that you've fostered so far affected your recruiting process? Yeah, it's certainly changed the way we go about recruiting. You know, I think the default in ministry often is like, I need a warm body. You know, like I, I, people, yeah. I can't open... You think about like kids ministry or student ministry. Often it's like, I literally can't open the doors without a second adult or whatever, you know, like <laughs> you just struggle with those kind of things in ministry. 
And obviously we are always looking for more volunteers to come alongside and join in what God is doing. But I do think it's allowed us to recruit more from more based on culture than need. And I think that's a, a strength. We always have a need. I'm not like ignoring it, but when we can cast a vision for who we want to be, or actually maybe see some of these values lived out in a member of our church before they're even on our team, you know, we can actually affirm that in them and use that as a part of the invitation to come and join what we're doing. And so it certainly changed like the recruiting process and how we onboard and those kinds of things. But I do think that we often underestimate just like the importance of deciding ahead of time what kind of culture it is that we want to create and then actually making steps that bring us in that direction. Yeah, uh, I say it too often, but I think there's a, a Stephen Covey quote where he's like, if your ladder's leaning against the wrong building, then every step you take just gets you to the wrong place faster. And, and I think sometimes culture is like that. Like every decision I make is, is going to build culture or, or destroy culture. What, what, either way, it's creating something. And I think that kind of principle of starting with the end in mind helps me to make sure that the steps I'm taking or the things that I'm building are actually moving us in the direction that we intend to go. And so I think culture is one of those things that happens either by default or it happens by design. And these are some of the pieces that we've tried to go like, let's, let's, as much as it depends on us, let's try to be intentional about designing the, the culture that we're building. Man, that's good. In the phrase in general, the difference between calling up and calling out is subtle in, yeah. in wording, but massive in implication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think it does in the heart? And what have you seen it do in the heart of a student? to handle issues this way. And I think like we've talked about it in terms of when there's a problem, we call them up, but I'm sure that even if there's not a problem, calling them up is just as important in moments where things are, where they're not misbehaving and there's not discipline issues. Like this is a pervasive theme, not just a how to handle disciplinary issues. So what, what is it, what have you seen it do and what, what do you think it does in the heart of a student to, to make that shift? Yeah, I I think that's really good, man. I think that the thought that we have to bring it beyond just our approach to discipline and rather our approach to discipleship Hmm. is exactly the point, you know, like it does apply in terms of discipline, but really I think it is, it's an approach approach to discipleship that maybe is a little bit different than what has sort of been the traditional model. And I think creating a culture of it over time has produced for for us students that come up through the ministry and want to stay and want to contribute and want to become all that God's called them to be. I think it's part of what has allowed us to see kids like step into ministry and realize God's call on their life. And, you know, some of those things that we all hope for and pray for in student ministry, right? I'm not, I'm not sure there's anything that we get to do that's too much more rewarding than seeing a kid, you know, follow God's call on their life. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it's all about, right? (laughs) So I think um, seeing kids realize their potential, you know, or, or hearing them talk about how their student pastor saw something in them that they didn't see in themselves or, um, reflecting on some of those moments where 
uh, the conversation could have gone another direction, but because of the way it was handled, just the life that was spoken over them or the oper- the encouragement that they received, I, I do think it's um, has changed the tone of a lot of those things. And so um, it also gives, I think, our leaders like a lens to look through um, that helps them to see every student beyond where they are. You know, mm-hmm. so again, it's like you mentioned, it's not just discipline, but like discipleship. So even looking at the kids who are maybe killing it, always here, core kids, your team, you know, those students, I think for our leaders to be able to see, look at those students through the lens of God has more for them than they're actually currently experiencing, even though they might seem like they're hitting it on all cylinders. I think it just, it, it gives leaders a new lens to be able to look at students and go, there's more beyond what you're currently experiencing. And I, I think that helps our leaders call students, yeah, to, to, again, something that they maybe don't even see in themselves. And so it's, it's become a little bit of a lens for discipleship. And I think the, the reward has been that, that students end up doing far more than they ever thought they could because they've received that, that encouragement and that, the, that life has been spoken over them. I love that filter so much that, that language and that culture, like you mentioned, helps them to see the students for more than than they are in that moment. Because it, it takes away so much of the... I think about some of my volunteers that would show up on a Wednesday night where it, in my context, we didn't have small groups on Wednesday night. We had small groups other nights of the week. But we had a bunch of volunteers because there was a whole heap of kids and we needed we needed people around. And a lot of times you really had to back volunteers off. Like you're not just crowd control. Like we're, we're here for more than this. Understand the relational discipleship value, but giving them that filter for them to see those students for what God has called them to be and calling them up to that through those relationships and in those moments takes away so much of the anxiety that I feel like leaders have with interacting with students. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to build relationships. In my mind, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, gosh, that erases so many barriers and immediately gives mission as that that forethought that a leader has with going into a positive or a, you know, not a negative interaction, but maybe a more difficult interaction mm-hmm. in both ways. There's the mission is front and center and the mission isn't crowd control. It's discipleship. It's calling them up to be more than what they're experiencing now. That is so healthy. I love it. Yeah. When you were using that language, I was thinking about times in my ministry where I failed to do that, where I saw kids for what they were in that moment, rather than making the shift personally to see them for what they could be or what God's called them to be. Maybe that's just shame personality uh, (laughs) as as my personality type. I've been there too. But those are, like, that's what kind of popped into my mind was, man, there were times where I definitely dropped the ball and acted in a way that was, man, all I'm seeing you for right now is that I don't care about anything that is going on. I'm just, whatever, like fill in the blank on all the things that commonly happen in student ministry. And I think what I would, what I would like to say to student pastors and, and youth workers that are listening to this podcast is if you've had those moments, man, there's grace for you and you can 
begin to think differently and you haven't lost the ear of that kid. Like you can go back and you can begin to see them for what they could be and what God's called them to be, see them beyond who they are right now. Relationship can be fixed and you can begin to do this even if you're thinking, oh man, yeah. like the, the, I've made some mistakes here. My leaders have made some mistakes here. Like you, you can move forward and it's okay. And there's grace in that for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I, I mean, I think, yeah, me too. Like I, I, as hard as we fight for this, like I'm, I make mistakes in this direction all, all of the time. And I think you're right. You know, like two of the most powerful words we can use are I'm sorry. You know, yeah. I think actually it builds a lot of relational equity to go to a kid and say, Hey, there may have been times where I was short with you or harsh with you or stepped and I'm sorry. Like, you know, like I think we sometimes shy away from those conversations, but like you said, you know, there's so much opportunity before us um, that, yeah, we don't have to feel, feel that guilt or shame, but I think it's just one of those things that if we're not intentional about, we can find ourselves in that mode often. Yeah. When you were talking earlier, Ryan, I just kept thinking about me as a student Hmm. And I wasn't always, I was, I was pretty bad kid. So I was called out a lot. I wasn't called <laughs> up very often at all. Uh, and I needed to be probably uh, both. I probably needed both <laughs> at the time. <laughs> but I just kept thinking if I would have been called up and em- em- empowered and encouraged in that way, how much more confidence I would have had for my peers for me to apply that to their lives, how can I call up those around me and call them to greatness and have not just the difficult conversations of accountability, but um, I don't know, they should all, they should be inspired to apply that to their own lives too. And I bet you're seeing that effect in your youth ministry as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, like you said, it gives them a new perspective for their peers. It gives them a courage to interact with their friends. You know, I think it also, just even going back to the idea of creating that environment, I think it helps students to know it's like a safe place. And that's something that we talk about often, but when it comes to like, how do you actually ensure that students know the environment that you're creating for them is safe? I think that's one of the one of the ways that we can do that. Um, so even in terms of like our ability to reach students who are not yet a part of our church, if the kids who are coming don't feel safe, if the kids who are coming don't feel encouraged, you know, if the kids who are coming feel like, ah, it's, it's rules and regulations and it's, you know, thou shalt not, you know, then the, we compromise their position of inviting their friends to come and be a part of what God is doing Mm -hmm. here because of their experience. So I think, like you said, it's important in terms of their relationship with their peers, both in giving them confidence in themselves, but also in us. Like I can bring my friends and they're, they're going to find something here that they need. So I think it's, it's both. And that's a great point. Julie, one of the things you mentioned was like the peer to peer aspect of this. Ryan, have you started to see as you've implemented this over the years, students actually begin to call each other up instead yeah. of out and the love deeply things that you've mentioned. How, how has that been uh, in terms of peer to peer? Yeah. Well, I certainly would like to see it more. <laughs> sure. But I think we all, any t- anybody who is trying to create culture, I'm sure would say, man, I would love to see more of fill in the blank. <laughs> yeah, 
totally. But we have seen it. And I, and I do think that's the true test of culture. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you, when you first make a decision like this, or you per- first put some things in place that are going to kind of safeguard the culture of who you want to be there, there's a lot of like, it, it requires a lot of nursing it, you know, it requires a lot of supervision. It requires a lot of repetition. This is who we are. This is what we want to be. This is how we're going to respond. You know, and I think the true test of like whether or not that culture is being built is when you you don't have to constantly be involved in every conversation, you know, that that you're not the one correcting culture, but rather the culture of the organization begins to to correct itself. Right. So when I don't have to when I don't have to say, hey, here we speak highly, but rather someone who doesn't speak that way stands out to the, the rest of the group and they respond with that kind of same language or that same heart behind the the things that we say and so I think when culture begins to like correct itself and requires a lot less guidance from the primary leader that's how you know it's begin to like it's beginning to take root so I think you know the huge wins of like hearing students repeat those house rules you know the the seeing how students respond to their friends and their peers, maybe when they make mistakes or they fall short or, you know, just seeing that they are carrying that culture and they're also creating that environment for their peers. You know, those are some, those are some really huge wins. So, um, you know, it's taking root when you don't have to constantly be the one to correct it. Hmm. Ryan, what's something that you do like that you would put on a top priority list in terms of creating culture and continuing to speak into culture? What's something you do every week that you would say is to a student pastor, man, you're, you're creating culture where you are. Here's something you need to do every week to make sure that it's continuing to move forward. Well, I could tell you some things I'd like to be better at, but (laughs) you know, things that I think that really do that. I do think it's really important for us to, prioritize creating that culture within a closer or smaller group before we expect it to trickle down to even the casual attender, right? Mm -hmm. So I can say things from a platform on a Wednesday or I can train my volunteers or, but if I'm not really like living with discipling closely connected to a core group of students and or leaders where I'm like, I'm embodying the culture for them. I I can't expect them to do it for others or for it to trickle out. So I think one of the best ways to invest your time or prioritize your week is to make sure that you are embodying that culture for a smaller group of influencers and, and allowing that be one of the ways that you train, you know, the, the, the more outer edges of the culture in your ministry. Um, so I think that that's really important. Um, I, I was reminded recently, I read uh, Excellence Wins by Horst Schultze, the creator of the Ritz-Carlton brand. And he basically talks about how at that beginning of every shift, Rich Car- Ritz-Carlton employees are just trained on their 20, I think it was 24 values. And they literally just repeat them. You know, it just cycles over and over and over and over and over. And he talks just about the importance of the, the retraining and the constantly keeping those values before in his case, employees, but I was just reminded of the value of like, there's a lot of things that we can train on, but if we don't constantly keep these values in front of our people, 
um, then we can't expect to build that culture. So I think that's another way is finding, finding ways to consistently keep them before your people and, and to do so in a way that doesn't feel redundant, you know, but, yeah. but constantly do it and find new ways of doing it. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to be able to celebrate students and leaders who actually mm-hmm. live it out, you know? So whatever those values are for you, it's actually a lot more powerful to just tell the story, uh, you know, tell the story of somebody in your ministry who you saw living out that value and just be able to publicly thank them and celebrate them. You know, it's going to go a lot further than me doing three points on why you need to be, you know, a tone setter or whatever. It's like, oh, actually, let me just, you know, celebrate this volunteer who no matter what they are walking in from no matter what they dealt with in that given day, even though they got a lot of responsibility, they show up here and they leave that all behind and they make every effort to love students right where they are. And I think whatever value it is that you want to highlight to be able to share a story and point those things out um, is a really powerful way to teach stories, teach culture, Yeah, you know, stories become a part of the culture of a place. And so I think we need to learn to be better storytellers particularly about the people who embody what we're trying to build. Yeah, and I love what you said about uh, embodying those values with a smaller group because those people become ultimately, as they gravitate to that, to you as their leader and the way that you live your life and carry yourself through those values, they become culture carriers. And so that just becomes a a multiplying force that's sent out into your people. Not only that, but also just— always retraining you that I have to be the culture carrier for in front of these people that are watching really close. Ryan, thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. Thanks for your wisdom and and heart to share it with us and the whole lot of student pastors listening to the podcast, man. Thank you, man. It's, it's an honor. Love Lifeway students and all you guys are doing faithful podcast listener. So it's an, it's an honor if it helps anybody. Cool, man. I know know it's helped me. (laughs) Well, this has been another episode of the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. We will see you next time.